Good morning, our church family. Please open your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to finish up our series, Spiritual Cooking 201 today. We've came out of 101, kind of had some fun with that. We've been learning a lot. We've been learning a lot. We started off with Spiritual Cooking 101, where we talked about the importance of Bible study and how to do it. Uh, observation, interpretation, and application. There it is. Always wondering, do I respond or is it rhetorical? I get it. Thank you for that, Ken. And so application, you cannot have good solid application if you don't have observation that is very, very uh, on, on track. Then because you're not going to have a good interpretation. Too many times people will take a Bible verse out of scripture and be like, I'm just going to apply that to my life. But you have no idea what, what, what the context is. You have no concept of what it really is meaning, but you're just throwing stuff at you. That's very dangerous dangerous, please do not do that. It's important for us to understand that we can prepare spiritual meals for ourselves. And we did that through observation, interpretation, and application. And today, uh, through this month, we've been walking through the book of James. And we're finishing up James today because uh, we're learning that if you really are a Christian, you're going to live like it. And if you're really not a Christian, guess what? You're going to live like it. Regardless of where you are, it is going to be seen in your behavior whether or not you truly are a follower of this Savior that we know of as Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And James is all about spirit, uh, Christian maturity, maturity of a believer, in the understanding that we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by faith. In fact, but, but the, here's the thing. If you're saved by faith, truly saved, then there's going to be evidence of works. Oftentimes people will, there's a, there's a time, this is Martin Luther, didn't like James, didn't want James put into the canonized Bible, these 66 books, these letters and documents and and such, because there's such a high, such a high conversation of works in James. And so people are like, well, Paul makes it very clear. There's no works whatsoever. James makes it clear too that it is by faith. However, if you are saved, there should be evidence. And that's what James is talking about. Super glad that James is in this canonized book that we know of as the Holy Bible. Because it gives us, it gives us uh, the understanding of our faith, but it also takes away permission to be lazy in our faith. There must be something going on in your life with regards to good works. Otherwise, we are told that uh, w without good works, your faith is dead. And that's hard for us to hear because we think we're good people. We'll just make it easy on everybody. We're not. The only good in me, Paul says, is the Spirit of God that lives in me. 
And I can only do the things that I do because of him. So we've been walking through this in the book of James. I have learned a lot. I have studied James multiple times. This seems like a whole new level of learning for me. I hope that you're learning as well. In James, there are five chapters. And we know that when it was originally written, James wrote this letter to be spread out, to be shared amongst Jewish believers, known as Messianic Jews, people that they were born Jewish, but they believe in Jesus as Messiah. Messiah. So now there are levels of conversion, uh, but they're, they're referred to as Messianic Jews. So they're scattered abroad because they chose to follow Jesus and family and friends, not just the government or anyone, but family and friends are shunning them. You're believing in Jesus? You're out. You're out. And so they're scattered abroad. James writes a letter. Didn't have chapters and verses. Like you write a letter, if you write a letter anymore, or send an email perhaps. Uh, you don't typically put chapters and verses. Later on, it was added where there was chapters and verses. And I appreciate it because it helps us find passages. Where's that where it says this? Oh, it's in James chapter 5 verse 2 or whatever. But we got to keep in mind, in the original context, like buying a house is all about location, 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 understanding God's word is all about context, context, context. So as we read through there, you're going to see sometimes where you're like, oh, that's interesting why they broke it off there. And you'll get there. If you keep studying your Bible, you too will have moments of, I don't know that I would have put the chapter there. It is what it is. It's there. So we come to a point in James where probably would have thrown the beginning of James 5 more into James 4 because of the context and the way that it comes together. I'm going to spend very, very little time on the first six verses of James 5, and I'm just going to talk through the rest of it today. You are welcome to go back yourself and, and, and look through some of that. So let's get everybody up to speed. Week 1, James 1, we uh, characterized that and we outlined it as how a mature believer practices, that's our phrase this whole month, a mature believer, uh, Christian maturity does something and practices patience in trials. We're going to go through stuff. We're actually called to practice patience in our trials. And we're going to talk through a, a, a bunch of that even today in, in James 5. In James chapter 2, our second week of the month, we looked at the maturity uh, of, the, of the series. The mature, a mature believer practices truth. Now, God's truth is in fact ultimate truth. You can choose to follow it or not. Whether you agree with it or believe, with, believe it doesn't matter. doesn't change the fact of whether or not it's true. A mature believer not only hears the word of God, but follows it. And then the, the, the third chapter, we looked at the mature believer practices self-control. And we had a little bit of fun with this. Um, if you remember that week, we had a tongue that was up here. And who remembers the logo that it reminded you of? Rolling Stones, right? And you're like, no way, I missed that week. Yeah, we didn't play any Rolling Stones songs or anything. It was literally just that. I didn't even realize what it was until I put it up, so forgive me. Uh, so self-control, and I passed out tongue depressors. And I, was, uh, and I was like, sometimes we just need to ha, 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 ha. Right? And it said James 3 on it. We have them over the next step table if you need one. And the point was, we need to practice self-control. And our focus was our tongue. No man can tame the tongue. The Holy Spirit can. 
So we want to practice having self-control. I really want to say something. Should you? (laughs) Should you is always a good way to start. And then last week, a mature believer practices being poor in spirit. And that phrase, poor in spirit, has to do with humility. In fact, in James chapter 4, in this portion of the letter that James wrote to the scattered believers abroad, he he gives this declaration of humility saying, humble yourselves. Which means I can do it. If, I'm, if there's going to be a declaration, if there's going to be an exhortation, if there's going to be a command, that means I have the capacity as a follower of Christ to do it. Humble yourself, draw yourself close to God, and God will draw himself close to you. So he lays out this beautiful understanding of humility. Humility, And then he goes into two warnings in James 4. And then there's like this, almost like another warning, a third warning, if you will, at the beginning of James 5. So in James 4, there's a warning of judging one another, judging others. And you say, I knew it, I knew it. I've been telling people for years, don't judge me. Well, what this is referring to is different than James uh, chapter, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, when we were learning about um, judging one another appropriately. You see, we're told to remove the plank in your own eye so that you can judge rightly the speck in your brother's eye, so that you can actually see and understand better. You're dealing with your own stuff so that you can help with your brothers and sisters. We're supposed to keep each other accountable. Not in an arrogant way, but in a way where we say, hey, can we have dinner together? Let's go sit down and talk. And then you're sitting there and you say, you know what? There's some things in your life that I've noticed that they're just not sitting well with me as I read scripture. And I was wondering, can I share that with you? Right? A little permission. And if we have a relationship, yeah, I want to hear what you have to say. And then you walk through biblically, not, not your preference, but biblically, like, here's what Scripture teaches. And I wondered, what, what are your thoughts on this? Right? Talk through it. And they can respond however they choose to respond. Humility is a great way to respond as it starts off James chapter 4 there. Then there's a second warning about self-confidence. Self-confidence having to do with, oh yeah, I can do it. Oh, it's all about me and I can fight. I don't really need to lean on God. We do this all the time. When things are going well, we don't spend a lot of time in prayer. When things are going bad, I pray every day. Why? Because you realize you're desperate for some sort of help. And you want to get away from the pain. But to think that I would sit in prayer continually. Not just on the side of a bed or a chair where I'm always like this. But acknowledging continual conversation with the Lord all throughout the day. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for something so simple as allowing me to get through that red light. Right? Well, it's green by that time. But get, get through that light. Thank you, Lord. I saw that car. I can't tell you. There's so many times where I'm driving, I'm going, that could have gone bad. Thank you. Silly things for me that I'm walking and I, I, I lean on my ankle a little bit and I go, I don't know why that's so weird to me. It happens like a lot. And it's just like a reminder that that could have gone, but it didn't. Thank you, Lord, for the the blessing of health, that I can still stand on two feet. Thank you for that. It's an ongoing, continual acknowledgement of what? He is God and I am not. We're learning. 
He is God and I am not. Humility. And then you go into James chapter 5, which is where I have you right now. And at the very beginning, it talks about a warning to rich people. This isn't because they have money and they have riches and they have whatever they have of wealth. That's not the issue. The issue comes when people look at that and say, I am great because I have. I don't need God because I have all that I Need Not acknowledging the fact that I wouldn't have what I have if not God. But I'm the one with the idea. I'm the one with the hard work. Yes, you're the one with the physical ability and the mental capacity to come up with amazing things. It's almost like you were created that way. And then we, we just lean on our own understanding rather than any word of the word of God. And so the warning is... The warning is, you got to be humble. You got to be humble. Well, that takes us to here when we are in uh, James chapter 5. And I want to start us with the big idea, with the outline for today, which is a mature believer practices perseverance. Say that with me. Perseverance. That's a hard one. Because when we need to persevere or just keep going, you know as well as I do, it's because something hard is happening and we need to persevere. So how in the world am I supposed to persevere? Well, I see through James chapter 5, there's actually, you may be able to break it down even further, but I, but I see seven exhortations, seven urges, seven encouragements that James lays out to say, hey, a mature believer can persevere when you do these things. And I'm going to walk through that with you as I read through James chapter 5 to, uh, with you. We're going to start in verse seven. I see these seven exhortations where James lays it out to say, listen, how does a mature believer persevere? Well, the first way is to wait patiently. In verse seven, we read, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait on the Lord's return. This idea of being patient is literally putting it on. If you got up this morning and you checked the weather and you were like, I think I'm going to do a sweater today. This is going to be nice. And you went, or uh, as in my case, I got my vest back out. Let's go. And I got to put it on. I literally held it. I put it on. It was a choice of mine to cover myself in a way. And they're saying in, he's saying in patience, put on patience. Then he correlates this, puts like a side by side view of how we're supposed to behave similarly to the way that a farmer behaves. Well, how, what does that have to do with anything? Well, in their culture, farmers, of course, everywhere. Today we see them, but it's really not our lifestyle of being a farmer. And James says they plant and then they wait patiently for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the value, valuable harvest to ripen. It's not that they don't anticipate it or they're excited about it. It's, it's that they patiently wait. So you see, these farmers aren't going out into the field uh, yelling at their seeds. What's wrong with you? You're not producing. I've got quotas to meet. I tease with my family sometimes if I ever do kind of like a little garden in my backyard. And this year, somebody gave me a tomato plant, uh, four of them actually. And I was like, well, I like tomatoes. We'll put them in the ground. And I put them in the ground. And an hour later, I intentionally went outside, looked around, and I said, nope, sorry, guys. No tomatoes yet. 
and they know I'm ridiculous. They say, Dad, it's, it takes a lot longer than just an hour. Okay, I'll wait two hours, right? <laughs> I'll wait just a little bit longer. We're supposed to wait patiently, similarly to the way that the farmer plants, and then you have to wait. Is the rain in the control of the farmer in this context? Say no. No. Now, we have gotten to a place where we try to control everything, right? We can water things, and I appreciate that. There's definitely levels of engineering that has helped us over the years. But in this context, they just have to wait. When's it going to come? I believe it's going to come. But it ultimately is up to God whether or not it happens. So I just have to be patient. I just have to wait. I'm not going to pace in my house I'm not going to worry about it because I have no control over it. What am I supposed to do? It's either going to rain, if God allows, or it's not. And then I just have to wait to see this harvest ripen. And so in order for me to be able to handle my day-to-day life, I can't be all freaked out all the time. I've just got to rest in the truth. If the Lord allows... James 4.15, I will do this or that. If the Lord allows, then this will happen. And so he says, wait patiently. We're such an impatient people. Have you ever stared at a microwave saying, come on? Isn't that the most absurd thing ever? You can have a basically fresh meal in a microwave in five minutes. And we look at this, man, this is a long five minutes. That's not a long five minutes, just five minutes. We get so impatient and we're, we're, we're long. Can you believe Google takes 0.03 microseconds to give me a billion results? Absurd! It's, <laughs> I click it and it should come faster than those microseconds or whatever they are, milliseconds. We're so impatient and we're getting more impatient. You know you're an impatient people when the latest iPhone 15 comes out before the 14. Right? Like, you know you're an impatient person when you're just like, ah! We are, and we need to just be patient. Sometimes we're so busy, we don't even give our, 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 our life some wiggle room that we get to a point where we don't have time to wait. And I want to encourage you, you got to find a place to breathe. Because if you don't have time to breathe or sleep, you will die. That's basic biology. You can argue with it all you want. Biology is what it is, biology. And so you need your rest. You need to take moments of breathing. There's been times where I've actually looked at my calendar for the following day, and I just needed to do something different that day. I needed to just have a day, maybe a half a day to myself. So I've adjusted my calendar accordingly. Maybe it made it a little bit more challenging later or the week after. And I had to put people off another, another week. But at the end of the day, I've got to take care of me, which is then going to be better for everybody. If I'm doing good and doing well, then I can help you better. And I can also do well leading my family in a positive way. Patience is a... It is also a discipline. It can be a virtue all at once, but if you can't do it, what does it matter? A discipline. Think of patience as a discipline, that you practice it regularly, that if, in fact, you find yourself being uh, short with people, go back and apologize. 
you know what, I, I, was, I was a little bit over the top right there. I'm sorry. I've done this. I have done this where I have gone up to complete strangers that I think that I was a little bit a little bit rude maybe with, or I, the way that I would think that I'm being rude. And I go back to them and I say, listen, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to be impatient. I just, just come so naturally, you know, I just, I just did it. And I did, I'm sorry, you're working hard and I'm trying to get to my next thing, right? And it just reminds me, hey, do you want to keep apologizing to strangers? Or are you going to just keep putting on patience? How are you going to do this? So wait patiently. So how does a mature believer persevere? Wait patiently. Also, avoid grumbling. Verse 9, don't grumble. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> don't grumble. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. You cannot be grateful and grumble at the same time. You can't do it. If you focus on being grateful, you will then fill the air through the tongue you're working on to be grateful, and you won't be grumbling. Us adults grumble in a way that we, we, try, to, we try to put it in a form of a prayer request sometimes, or, um, can you, can, you know what, can you pray for you know, this organization down here? Because the last time I was there, I got there, and they made me wait, right? And we turn it into grumbling is what it is. Children and young people, typically the grumbling looks a little bit more like, oh, that's an official grumble. Adults can do that too. When you do that, let that be a trigger to you, a sign, a cue that says you're grumbling. And as a Christian, we're told not to do that. You don't have to like the situation, but we're told not to grumble. Believers, Adults, we are not to grumble about one another. If you have an issue with one another, go to that person. I mean, let's make something up. If you have an issue, go to the person. If they don't listen, take somebody else with you. And then if they don't listen still, then, then bring in leadership. Maybe take it before the church. Right? I just threw that out there. We're going to try that. The Matthew principle. If you have a grumble, I know we want to avoid confrontation. I don't like confrontation, but this guy's not afraid of it. I walk into situations anticipating it's going to get real up in here. I sit in rooms where people are yelling at each other. Why? I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I just love that environment. I want to be in that because I think that if I can be present, maybe the Lord can use me to bring a sense of calm and peace. Why? Because I'm called to do that as a Christian. So I walk into hard situations anticipating I might be called on to. Avoid grumbling. Avoid grumbling. Avoid talking about your adult children in a way that tears them down. Avoid talking about your children, uh, your, your, your parents. Avoid talking about your boss who did that thing again, right? Avoid talking about the market because it is what it is. What are you going to do? The economy. Like, avoid grumbling about everything. Focus on all that you have. Truly. Focus on what you have, on the good things that are going in your life, and just be grateful for what the Lord has done in your life. So wait patiently, avoiding grumbling, and how does a mature believer persevere? Endure suffering. Verse 10. For examples of patience 
in suffering, see how that James married those two terms together? Patience in suffering. Dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness, uh, tender, tenderness and mercy. So when we look at prophets, let's take these two uh, ideas. So you have the prophets and then Job. The prophets were not living in mansions. The prophets were not well off. The prophets spoke on behalf of God. And God does not back away from his truth. Hey, go tell them that. Now the human, you, you want me to say what? All right, this is what I do. And they go into prophets were hated. They were, they were hunted. They were um, terminated. They were killed. They were, they were not the popular ones. And yet, they persevered. They endured under, during, while suffering. And then we know of Job. Job, chronologically, the book of Job, comes right after Genesis 11, interestingly enough, and the whole book of Job right there. So it's, you know, you can see chronologically where it fits. Job 1.1 records that Job was blameless, complete integrity, having complete integrity, feared God, and stayed away from evil. And yet, if you don't know Job, let me give you a brief synopsis. Job, that I just spoke about, had everything. And then God gave permission for the enemy to remove everything that he had. And he had to just sit in that for a time. God, this is my life. Why are you meddling? Why don't you pick on somebody else? God said, have you, talking to the enemy, the the devil, have you considered my servant Job? God knew, because God knows. How does God do this? He trusted Job, baby. Can you consider this, that God placed Job in a way It's like, but this is my life. Why would you take everything away? Pick somebody else to do a thing. But God chose. And after all that enduring, God made sure that Job was better off than he was before. Interesting thought is Satan was taking away all of his stuff. God said, you can do whatever you want, but don't don't touch the man at this time. And then he said, and then he he just, everything, everything was gone except his wife. And you're like, why would you leave the wife? Why would the enemy not leave the wife when the wife looked at his, her husband and said, why don't you just curse God and die? She's basically working for him, right? She's working for the enemy. So, of course, you know what? You can stay, honey. No, no, you just stay right there. You're doing a good job, you know? And Job loses everything. Great heartache. Great pain. Read through Job. It's not going to be an encouraging story. It's a story of torment. Maybe read the first chapter and the last chapter and then fill it in. Enduring suffering. He really did. And James points it out in this letter. 
Also, how do we persevere as a mature believer? Well, we must speak honestly. Verse 12, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. When we were at the beginning of our Matthew and Friends study, which we're going to get back to next week, we were going through Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And obviously, it appears, at least to me, I could see in the context, that James knew this as as he's teaching it, and he probably learned it from his big brother, his half-brother, Jesus. This is the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. And so he's laying all this out. Jesus took it to another level in Matthew 5. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Where James stops, Jesus says, and everything else beyond that is evil. So what does that look like practically in our life? We need to be very careful about the whole like, hey, can you do that? Yeah, pinky promise. You super promise, and I'm talking about using it as an oath to add to your yes, or your yes is yes, your no is no. If you're just having fun with it, that's different. But all too often, people make it like, I super promise this time. I promise, 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 promise. You got to keep track of your promises, because by the next time you screw up, you might need a sixth promise. And God says, listen, just let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Let it be in such a way where if I say yes, you know it is yes. Now, challenge is, is that we are humans. And that's something. And there's times where I'll say to my family, yes, let's go do that. And then we didn't do it. Or no, no, we're not going to do that. And we did it. And I have to go back and say, okay, so did I have any control over that? Yes, I did. I forgot. Or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. I was wrong. And I have to apologize. But I aim to, okay, yes we can or no we can't. Sometimes the kids wouldn't answer like right now. They're like, hey, can we do this? I need to know right now. Okay, then no. I'm just going to err on the side of caution. Oh, okay, guys. You know what? Take some time. Take some time to think about it. I don't need an answer like right now. I didn't mean like right now. I meant like now, later. So... So speak honestly. When you talk to each other, when you make promises, this is what it's referring to. You shouldn't have to make an oath. By my life, I shall, right? No, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. How does a mature believer persevere? Pray earnestly. Now, we're going we're gonna to do some of this at the very end as well as we walk through communion together, as we have another time of uh, worship in our singing. Um, but I want to walk through this with you. Are any of you suffering hardships, verse 13? Well, you should pray. Are any of you happy? Well, then you should sing praises. Any of you sick? Well, then you should call together the elders of the church and come and have them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you commit to any, and if you have committed any sins, excuse me, you will be forgiven. Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. We often, in our world today, there's, also, there's always been misteaching. There's always been false teaching. We have, we have it more available to us than ever before. We pray for people and we pray for healing. We're told in scripture, 
if you're if you're ha- if you're sick, have the elders, the the church leadership, come together and pray over you, and you will be healed. Now we'll look at that, and in some context, people misuse that; they misapply it. Oh. Well, if that's the case, then I'm going to pray, and if you have enough faith, then for sure you're definitely going to have exactly what you say you want. But we miss the understanding of healing. We can be healed medically. Wonderful, wonderful ways of modern-day medicine today. Our prayer chain, praying for a sweet lady to have a heart transplant, and for that to take, that's remarkable. Medically, miraculously, just goes away. It just is healed. And both of those we can live with, can't we? Because that means what? The person is still here. That means that I'm still here. But as a believer, we know there's a third way. And that's eternally. God, we pray in the name of Jesus for healing to come over this individual And I will pray according to your will be done. Because I'm acknowledging you are God, I am not. However, and this is is where it gets like, however you choose to heal this person, I trust you. Now that is a way that if the healing doesn't come the way that you would prefer you can still rest in the fact that God is good because he got to decide how it was all going to play out. Not because you gave permission. He's going to do it anyway. But now you can, be, you can rest in the fact of the truth. God is God and I am not. I'm going to pour myself out because I really love that person. I want that person to be here with me. can't imagine what it would look like to not be with that person. But I do not grieve like those who have no hope. I have a real hope. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you have that hope too. Confess privately is another way that a mature believer perseveres. Confess privately. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. There is a healing element, a healing property in you, in, inside that, that, that you get healed when you confess your sins. We confess to God for forgiveness and we confess to one another for continued accountability. In appropriate settings, I sit down with mentors of mine and I confess things and they walk through things with me not appropriate for us to do it in an open forum but that's why it says privately confess privately to people that can hold you accountable that can sit down with you and say whoa you said you didn't want to do that anymore how how are we going to do this better now next time right with love and encouragement and a lot of grace but stern because if you want to follow jesus then we gotta, we got to nip this in the bud. we got to figure this out together through the power of the Holy Spirit. So confess privately. And finally, how does a mature believer persevere? Restore gently. 
My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is, and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. You must be careful to restore the fallen and not shoot our wounded. We are not animals. We are image bearers of the eternal God. And those who have believed, received, and are becoming, they are children of the Most High God. We are not in a position to choose when they're just, we're done. There are moments, no doubt, to extremes when you need to put up boundaries Maybe it's a safety thing, who knows? But all too quick, we jump at that. We're like, you hurt me, you're out. I'm going to say, if you, there needs to be distance, then you figure that out. But pray earnestly for there to be restoration, a restoring spirit for this person. Because God can get to that person while the Apostle Paul was on his way on the road to Damascus to uh, arrest and kill Christians on his way to commit evil. Jesus stopped him and turned him around. It can happen. I don't know if it will, but I believe it can. So restore gently. You see, I was that one sheep that went away from the fold and because of gentle people in my life that allowed me to call and have conversations the morning after a long night of partying, and when you're the most emotional, and they just heard me out, and they would say to me, so what's going to change then? What's going to change? And they allowed me to call. And it wasn't a daily thing or a weekly thing, probably every four to six months, until I finally said, okay, enough's enough. They restored me gently. A pastor friend of mine said, it's okay, you can be with us. We're a forgiving people. I just had to believe that. Still true. Restore people gently. So, when we look at this, well, let me stay on this for a quick second. Restore gently. Jude, verse 23, says, Re Rescue others by snatching them away from the flames of judgment. If you have somebody in your life that you think's a little bit annoying because they're telling you, hey, you should really, you should really you know, come to church with me and you should really read your Bible with me and you, you should really consider your future and you're just like, man, this person is always at me. I wish they would just do them and I'll do me and then I don't have to worry about this anymore. Why do they keep nagging me? We believers see non-believers in this word picture that the non-believer or those that are wandered away from the Lord are on the edge of a volcano and they know that it's not going to take much for them to go right over. And so for somebody to nag, it's saying, listen, wait, come with me, let's talk, let's discuss this, let's process this. I may know something that you don't. Just don't go another step. Just wait. So that person that sounds nagging is trying to seek this rescue. That's what the love of Christ does in our hearts. 
We're not trying to be Bible thumpers. Some people are just bad at the rescue. Others are trying desperately to get into your world so that they can show you the truth. Now, what do we do with this chapter? I want us to hone in on the next step of just one of these for the, for the remainder of our time. I want you to think, are any of you suffering hardships right now? Are any of you suffering hardships? Now, what does that mean? Are you going through it right now? Are you so deep in it right now that you're just desperate to try to even stay afloat or to get out from underneath it because the hardship, your heart, you're literally heart broken and you just don't know what to do? That's what that means. And then it says, are any of you happy? What an interesting thought, James. Why can't you just stay on this hardship stuff? You know, there's people in this very room that are suffering hardships. And there's some in this room that are on cloud nine. They're like, I don't know, things are going really well and I'm just happy. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to take both of those views and I want us to focus. Hebrews 12. I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because you're allowed to be happy. There's nothing wrong with you. You're allowed to be happy. And those of you that are suffering, we're going to go through this with you. You don't want everybody suffering at the same time. And it also says, are any of you sick? And we're to pray. We're to earnestly pray. So I'm going to take a moment and invite our servers, our communion servers, to come forward and get in place, if you would. And in just a moment... After I pray, and I'm going to give you an invitation, I'm going to invite you to come forward to the outside here soon and receive communion, the elements, and then come inside and make your way back to your seat, or you can stay up here and pray. Communion is a simple thing. It's a remembrance of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us his life as a ransom for whoever believes. The elements themselves are not the issue. It is the fact that believers assemble together to fellowship, to remember Christ's sacrifice, and to examine their own hearts as to whether or not they have any unconfessed sin. You don't have to be a member of this church family or any church family to take communion, but you do need to be in the family of God. We're remembering the sacrifice that we have received. If you're not there, then don't take communion. It's okay. It's okay. Don't give in to any cultural pressure to take communion. You're not even a believer. But today you can be. If, you've, if you believe in this, God, and you have received this truth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for you, you can be saved. You can become a child of God. But I want you to sit in that for a moment and just examine it. Don't think, don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Think about it. Think about it. Maybe you're a believer and you have some unconfessed sin that you need to deal with. And I want you to process that. 
And then if the Lord said, hey, let's, let's do this, you take communion. Let's have a moment of prayer and then we'll begin. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and life, and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid covered us for all time, and our desire as Christians is to live for you. We pray that you bless these elements. May it truly be a comfort. As we invite the believers to come forward, you who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with your neighbors, and who intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take his holy sacrament to your comfort and humbly make your honest confession to Almighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team receives communion over there, we're going to have a moment of time together as we just stay in this moment for a moment. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes as we just fix our eyes on Jesus. I know you may be very excited about life right now. You may also not be very excited about life right now. I want both of these both of these ends to come together and we're just going to fix our eyes on Jesus. Still the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, thank you for the privilege of being able to come together and worship you in this corporate setting. Thank you that we get to remember your sacrifice, that we get to think about the fact that you gave everything, everything. You held nothing back to make a way for us dead in our sins that we might be saved made a way to the Father by becoming this curse so God as we just think about the fact that that should have been all of us and yet you sent your son Jesus you came in the form of man to pay the penalty of sin that we could never pay. God, thank you. Thank you for the Messiah. Thank you that he lived amongst us. Thank you that we got to see, we get to see through scripture how Jesus was and is fully human, fully God. Thank you that we can see his humanity come out in these words. So God, I just ask you to strengthen us for those that are going through hardships right now, suffering. I pray peace over them. 
I pray calm. I pray truth. It still may not work out the way that we want it to. But the truth is, God is good. And so we still worship. Lord, I pray for those that are having just an incredible time right now in life. I pray an encouragement of humility. All too often we walk away from our prayer time with you when things are going well because we figure everything's fine. I don't need God right now. May we remain humble in all of the good. May we remain focused in all of the bad. And may the church be the church coming around each one celebrating who you are every step of the way. As we go throughout our day, strengthen us to do your work. Remind us when we need to be reminded. Challenge us, correct us, discipline us according to your will. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, amen and amen. As we head out here today, uh, next week, we're going to be starting Matthew again, Matthew 15. Look forward to jumping back into that, so be prepared. Now receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now say with me, go and be the church.